0: scripture reading today in Luke chapter 12 verses 13 through 21 I invite you all to turn in your bibles the pew bibles the red bibles in front of you it's found on page 37 I'm sorry 737 7. scripture reading is Luke 12 verses 13 through 21 it's the parable of the rich fool Verse 13 says this Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me judge and arbiter between you? He said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to myself, You have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. May God add the blessing of the reading of his word.
1: Thank you, John. Finger open to this passage. We'll be looking at this in a moment. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word that we have in our hands. May we not take it for granted. May uh, you speak to our hearts this morning as the Spirit of God has complete influence for me and through me and over each of our lives for your glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A while back, CNN covered a story about a man with severe stomach pain. This 62-year-old man went to the emergency room of a hospital in western France. The doctors were astounded by what they saw on the x-ray. They found an enormous, dense mass in the patient's stomach that weighed 12 pounds. It was so heavy that it forced his stomach down between his hips. The doctors were taken back when they discovered the reason for the patient's sore and swollen belly. He had swallowed around 350 coins. $650 worth. They cut him open, removed his badly damaged stomach and its contents, but the man died a few days later from complications. And doctors said that he suffered from a rare illness that makes people want to eat money. I'm sure there's a disorder name for it, but that's what they say happened. Now, that is simply insanity. Come on. Consuming wealth? Good thing we don't have that problem, right? I mean, good thing that consumerism has never led to physical illness or stomach aches or soreness or heartache in our lives. Good thing money and possessions don't wreak any havoc in our lives, right? Well, there's a monster that continues to rear its ugly heads. And perhaps you figure you've grown up and done away with those monsters in your closet and under your bed, but there's still one monster alive in our lives, a constant threat to our security and peace, and that is the money monster. Ha! You say, it's no such thing. Is there? Oh, the seduction of its sinister power. Oh, how it beckons us and woos us and even can potentially suck us into its grasp. If we are to be set free from being chained to the money monster, then we must confront the lies that it has told us. We must come to grips with the ugly reality of believing that a little bit more will be enough. I mean, how is it that material things can have such a hold on our lives? I mean, why is, it, is its grip so tight? if we know that the point of life is is more about relationships than all the stuff, and more about that which outlasts us than we possess, then why do those material things have such power to control our decisions? Now, I, like most of you, perhaps all of you, want to make my life count for God. It's safe to assume you don't want to waste your life. It's safe to assume that you know the words of Scripture are true. That says, naked a man comes from his mother's womb, and as he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand. Or as someone aptly put it, we come into this world bare-bottomed and (laughs) ballin'. That's true. And the truth is, we'll carry nothing with us in our hands as we stand before God. But you already know that. Well, that brings us to week two of our study on the subject of stewardship. And I trust that you spent some time this past week and some of the passages there in your daily readings and and working it through and pondering it and reflecting on it. Um, I forgot to mention last week there is a section in there for sermon notes. If you want to go there this morning, you can. Maybe you have another system. Maybe you just want to take it in and listen. But follow along. Stay with us here in this journal If you're just jumping in this week, grab the the journal on the way out and catch up or just start from this point forward. But, But follow along in this. Now, last Sunday, I put out to you a foundational principle for the subject of stewardship. It's all built on this. It is that everything we have, we hold in trust. Stewardship is a matter of trust. I mean, is it going to be in God we trust, Or in stuff we trust. Now our passage today in Luke 12 addresses this very thing. And the scene here in Luke chapter 12 is of Jesus surrounded by a crowd of people. Many thousands of people were gathered, it says back in verse 1 of chapter 12. There in verse 1 of chapter 12 it says that there were so many people that they were trampling over one another. And then out of the crowd comes a disgruntled man who wants Jesus to solve a family dispute. And we're going to see from this passage this morning that was just read, we're going to see the problem, then we're going to see the principle, then we're going to see the parable, and then we're going to see the punchline. Okay? So first of all, the problem. The problem. Look with me at verse 13 of the presenting problem. Luke 12, verse 13. It says, A man says to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. me.'" Now, all of you teachers out there, you can appreciate this. You teach your lesson. You think you've communicated really well. You said what you needed to say. I mean, you hit it out of the park. And then you ask if there are any questions. And a student raises his hand or her hand, and he asks a question unrelated to what you just talked about. Ever experienced that? You know that, right? This is Jesus' experience here. He's been talking about hypocrisy. He's been talking about fearing God rather than man. He's been talking about the Holy Spirit and the triune God. He's been talking about forgiveness and salvation. And then this one guy makes his way to the front. He has this one chance to ask Jesus a question any question, and this is what he comes out with. I mean, this guy has one shot to talk to Jesus, and what subject does he pick? Money. And it really isn't even a question. It's a statement demanding Jesus does something about his problem. I mean, he can't wait for the Lord to stop talking about all this spiritual stuff and get to the stuff that really matters, money. And he's not even one bit embarrassed about his request. After all, he might reason. This is what's on everyone's mind anyway. He's saying what others are thinking. Isn't that what we're thinking about often? Isn't money something that is on the front of our minds? Isn't this what we are talking to God about a lot? Now this guy and these brothers aren't really that difficult to figure out. There's a loss of a loved one. And rather than lamenting, rather than lamenting about the passing of their father, they are fighting over who gets what and how much. First, one wouldn't share. The second one demanded he get his hands on it. Now, how many of you, don't show any hands here, how many of you have seen this ugliness around inheritances or family businesses or property or loaning of money and so on? How many of you have seen it? And what once appeared to be a functional family turns people into taking sides, becoming contentious, jockeying, arguing, seeking to get what they want. I mean, isn't it times like these that the heart is exposed And Jesus is about to peel away the layers here. He answers to, Jesus' answer to this man's demanding request is not cordial, really. Look what Jesus says, verse 14. He says, man, that's not a term of endearment. Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Now, Jesus was a man with a purpose. Jesus was a man with a mission, and he wasn't going to get sidetracked by trivial matters. He knew what was in a man, and the problem stated was superficial and a symptom of a spiritual issue. Let this be a lesson to all of us, that even though we cannot see into a man's heart as Jesus can, let's not get involved in matters that only take us away from from the real issues, from, from from, from mission and from purpose and from the heart issues and what we're supposed to be about. You see, what I find out in my office is that the presenting problem often isn't the real issue. It isn't. And Jesus moves from the superficial problem to the universal principle. We come to the principle. He turns to the crowd and he gives a strong warning in verse 15. He says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Now, one can only wonder what this man was thinking as he stood there listening to Jesus talk about greed. I mean, he's still there. You see, the root of the problem with these two brothers was greed. The money monster strikes again. Greed has been the cause of many siblings not speaking to each other and families being ripped apart. Greed is a horrendous sin. Americans don't see it as sin. Frankly, even in the evangelical church, we don't believe this. You see, coveting, greed, is not simply about having possessions. It's the loving of possessions or wanting something that you can't have or wanting something that isn't yours or not rightfully yours. And it results in obsessing over them. In our world, we call it advertising. (laughs) What's the whole point of advertising or marketing? It's to get you to covet, is it not? Ooh, a car with heated seats. I didn't even know they existed. But they do. I need that now. (laughs) You thought you were content until you see that advertisement of something you didn't even know you needed. (laughs) Right? Back in Portland, I had this uh, snowblower to use for the parsonage since our home was a few miles away from the church property, and I liked my snowblower. I mean, it certainly was many steps up from a shovel. It ran fine, it did the job in most cases, and, and I was happy about my snowblower. And one day I was out there snowblowing the driveway, and I was happy about my snowblower, and I noticed my neighbor's new snowblower was more powerful than mine. <laughs> it ran smoothly. It, Had some features on it I didn't even know that I needed. And all of a sudden, I didn't like my snowblower so much. I wanted that one. I had to have it. Amazing, isn't it? We lust over things we don't need, and then we go into debt to get it, to only find out in six months what? There's a new, improved version. That we call technology. So we're discontented again. The picture of the, of the plant and little shop of horrors kind of comes to my mind right here when it cries out, feed me, feed me, right? That's what I picture, feed me more, 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 discontent, come on, coveting, coveting, coveting. Jesus says, guard your heart against all kinds of greed. I mean, it's a real problem. In Colossians 3, 5, we're told that greed is idolatry. Covetousness made God's top ten list in the Old Testament. And before we get to the commandment of the ten commandments, do not covet, what do we come to first? Well, the first commandment is there's only one God. Number two commandment is worship Him alone. And as it's been noted, we put God first in our lives, we worship Him alone. We won't break the rest of the commandments. How do we guard our hearts against greed? Greed. We worship God. And if we're worshiping God, we will be content with our spouse. We will be content with our house. We will be content with all that God has given us, and we won't be coveting. I mean, do you, do you believe it? Can we worship God alone and covet at the same time? Impossible. See, we don't need more wealth, we need more wisdom. And Jesus' warning in verse 15 is followed by some wisdom, the principle. He says, here's the principle right here. A man's life, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Really. We've been told the one who dies with the most toys wins. We've been told that money does buy us happiness. We've been told that just a little bit more would be enough. And Jesus says, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, when Jesus used the word life here, it's not the word bios meaning life as opposed to death. He uses a different word. It's a word that means all that is real life. All that is real satisfaction, fulfillment, and enjoyment. He's speaking to what encompasses all that makes life worth living. That's what it consists of. So Jesus says here, even when you have an abundance of stuff, that doesn't make life worth living. And he says to this dear soul who raises this issue, you are drinking salt water here. You're never going to have your thirst quenched because the life you need, the life that satisfies, the life that is really worth living is not in all the stuff. And with that, Jesus tells them a story. He doesn't come out and just call the anchor a fool. He lets the story speak for itself. It's a story of a rich farmer. It is of a man, get this, it is of a man who lives for himself, talks to himself, plans for himself, and congratulates himself. What's that saying? A person wrapped up in himself makes for a small package. Well, this big successful farmer really was a puny man, for he missed the point of life we go from the problem, we go to the principle, now to the parable. Follow along as I read verse uh, 16. He told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. Now, the farmer in Jesus' story received what he had hoped for and likely worked very hard for, an abundant crop. Every farmer hopes for a good crop. Every worker hopes for that raise. Every business owner hopes for that successful year. Every graduate hopes for that big break. Many people hope for that winning number. Is it wrong to have a good crop? Is it wrong to be productive? Is it wrong to be successful? Well, only if it is gained through dishonesty or some other unrighteous way. But don't simply think here in two categories, rich and poor. Because that misses the point. It comes back to what will we do with what we have. And with verse 16 comes opportunity. If you write in your Bibles, you can write the word opportunity right next to verse 16. Because what will this man do with this abundant good crop? With this opportunity? Well, let's continue with Jesus' story. Verse 17 says, he thought to himself... Interesting, isn't it? This man's on an island of me here. He has no one else to talk with than himself. (laughs) Or if he does, he chooses to figure this out on his own. So he he says to himself, or he thought to himself, verse 17, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns. I'll build bigger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Now, what's going on here? Should we go home and burn our barns and garages to the ground? (laughs) That's not the point. It isn't a sin to own a barn. It isn't a sin to own a garage or a storage shed. It isn't a sin to make money. It isn't a sin to live in a decent home. It isn't a sin to have nice stuff. What's the real issue for this guy? What stood out to you as I read verses 17 through 19? Did you catch it? He has eye problems. He is I, 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 my, my, my. Did you see it? This guy worshiped the trinity of me, myself, and I. And it's quite a monument. Verse 17. Let's count it. Verse 17. What shall I do? I have no place to store, here it is, my crops. Two eyes, one my. Let's continue. Verse 18. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. Verse 19. And I'll say to myself, he's talking to himself again, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Six eyes and five my's, twice says himself, all in three verses. What's wrong with this picture? It's the question we all must ask. Are we the center of our life? Do we really think it is all about us? This man never saw beyond himself. I, my, mine, mine. I probably shared with you before my favorite scene in in, in Finding Nemo, right? The seagulls finding food. and, And we always wondered what the seagulls said. We know now by Finding Nemo, mine, 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 mine. What a picture of humanity. Mine, 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 mine. That's what it is. Reminds me of the story I've read many times to Nicole. It's about Buzzle Billy. Buzzle Billy had plenty of toys, and he had plenty of friends to share those toys with. And then one day, Billy developed a mine attitude. He began to shout, Give me! What do you really value? And parents, your kids are taking in what really matters to you. They're observing. Reminds me the story of a mother who took her five-year-old son shopping. And after a day in many stores, this store, that store, all the way through the day, a clerk at the end of the day handed the little boy a lollipop. And the mom, as we typically say to our kids, now what do you say? And the boy replied, charge it. <laughs> he heard it all day. Now, if your discussions around the table center mostly on money and the things it can buy, then it will become clear to your impressionable kids what you really value. It's clear what this farmer really values. What happened to this farmer is what can happen to any one of us, even sincere Christians. No one in this room, including myself, is exempt from being seduced by money. Money. We are capable of sacrificing fruitfulness and freedom and peace and instead be led through life on a leash controlled by the money monster. See, whatever it is that constitutes life for us, that becomes our God. And whatever becomes our God becomes that for which we will sacrifice all else. Folks, that's not real living. That's bondage. In the area of South Africa, there are melon traps that are used to capture the wily ring-tailed monkeys. Legend has it that a small boy devised this ingenious plan and means of catching the monkeys after having accidentally watched a ferocious fight between two ringtails over a broken melon. It appeared as if they were willing to die for the delicate seeds inside those melons. So the boy cut a small hole just big enough for a monkey's hand and the side of a melon, and then he sat in a clearing. Within moments... A ring-tailed spotted the melon. He jumped down to investigate. Finding the hole It stuck its hand in, grabbed a handful of seeds, and now it had a problem. Either drop the seeds so you can get your hand out, or leave your hand inside the melon with the seed. You see, the hole was not sufficient to allow the hand, now bulging with seeds, to pass through. And the boy would then move over and, and, and toss a net over the monkey, and, and even then, the monkey would not release the seeds. It's been said, that which you cannot give away, you do not possess, it possesses you. What are you holding on to so tightly that it now owns you? And you won't let go. You'll stay stuck, I don't care, I'm not letting go. We looked at the problem, we looked at the principle, then the parable, we come to the punchline, the point of it all. The farmer had all his T's crossed and all his I's dotted. He'd be considered successful in the eyes of most because he had big barns full of grain and goods that would take care of him the rest of his life. He's living the American dream get all you can, can all you get, then sit on your can. That's it. Retire and take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. That's the American dream. There's one problem, however. He did not realize that this was his last day before eternity. Now, you might be able to control your investments, but you cannot control your lifespan. This American dream turns into a nightmare. God says to this man, verse 20, look what he says. Not nice words. You fool. Now, he wasn't a fool because he was a rich. He's not called a fool even because he planned for the future. What made him a fool? Verse 20 goes on. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Now, the idea behind the word demanded there is is of paying back a loan. God had loaned him all the stuff. Now the payback. How did he use the stuff given to him? He missed the point. You know, John D. Rockefeller, you've heard this, one of the wealthiest men who ever lived, and after he died, someone asked his accountant, how much money did John D. Rockefeller leave? Accountant's reply, he left all of it. He did. It's, a tra- it's tragic that the farmer could not enjoy all that he planned, but the greater tragedy, however, is not what he left behind, but what lay ahead. He will stand before his maker, empty-handed. was Colonel Sanders of KFC said it right when he said there's no good reason to be the richest man in the cemetery. Jesus says in verse 21, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. Notice that they're for himself. That's the problem. And some of you might be saying, that's right, Pastor. Rich people really need to hear this. I'm going to get a copy of this sermon on CD and send it to all my rich friends. I can't stand the rich. Listen, don't think in terms of rich and poor. This speaks to my stuff. This speaks to how I am spiritually poor toward God. To be a good steward is getting whatever you can in a way that is honoring, it's paying your bills, it's taking care of your family, it's looking after the church and one another, it's giving to the poor, it's helping those in need, it's leaving a legacy. It's making a difference for all of eternity. Then standing before Jesus and hear him say, you didn't worship your wealth, you worshiped with your wealth. You've been rich toward God, well done, good and faithful steward. An older man says to a younger, ambitious man, what do you plan on doing? The young, ambitious man answers, I'm going to go to school, I'm going to get a degree, and I'm going to graduate from the university. And then, the older man asks, then I'm going to set up a business. And then? Then I'm going to make a fortune. And then? Well, I suppose I'll grow old, retire, and live on my money. And then? We say, I will, I will, I will. And the Lord to whom we must give an account says, and then? I bought a lot of toys. And then? I sure had a lot of fun. And then? I was able to kick back and take it easy while sipping my culotta in the sunshine. (laughs) And then? Well, you should see how good I am at golf. And then? What's the antidote to greed? How do we win successfully over the money monster? Being rich toward God. Right there, verse 21. Now, if you're taking notes in your journal, at the bottom of your notes, write down Luke 12, 21. Not the verse, just the reference. Luke 12, 21 with a question mark. Luke 12, 21 with a question mark. Or perhaps, if you might be even more bold than that, you can't see it from here, but with a um, a marker, Sharpie, pen here. I put on my wallet Luke 1221 question mark. When I pull this out I got to look at Luke 1221 be rich toward God. And pointing heavenward with the other hand simply said how much do you have in that direction? Every day with every